This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosher. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you why they're great, what makes them awesome, and why we think you should think awesome they are too. Awesome they are. Man, we're going to tell you what makes them awesome, why we think they're great, well, we've done this for two full seasons now. <laughs> We're going to tell you what makes them great. There we go. Why we think they're awesome. They are awesome. And why you should too. It's the grand JP, finale. how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. I just drove over from Middle Tennessee, stopped off and got a Burger King on the way here. Actually, on the way over, I saw a McDonald's sign that had a picture of a Big Mac that looked amazing because uh, on the pictures they always do yep. and then i got there and in chattanooga where we record the burger king and the mcdonald's are right beside next each door. other yep. next door and i thought you know that picture that's not real life <laughs> that's just fantasy oh, oh wow. so i went with burger king and guess what we're doing today guys Man. there's a hint on the song we're doing. that's right tell them what we're doing rob for the season two finale we saved a doozy we went big and we're going Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Why don't we go ahead and dive right in and take a listen? Because we got a lot to talk about. Jump on it. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see I'm just a cool boy I need no sympathy Because I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Anyway the wind blows Doesn't really matter Well, that sucks. <laughs> uh, so this song is hard to even get into with just a clip because it's so wildly varied. So There's many parts. So many different sections to the song that are musically eclectic. So we're just going to play some clips as we go through because uh, this is just six minutes of awesome. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen from 1975's album A Night at the Opera. Um but this is our season two finale. We've had a great time over the last year plus with you doing uh, two seasons of the Great Song Podcast. And this is going to be our last. I'm just kidding. Um, this is our last for this season, though. Um, and it's coincidentally, coincidentally, this is also uh, the release week of Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, because we are marketing geniuses. 
going to be all up on those iTunes charts. And we know we haven't seen the movie, obviously. No. So we're recording this a couple of weeks prior. That's right. Um, just to go ahead and and throw our our take on it. Yeah. So if the movie comes in and discredits everything that they're we full say, of it. they're wrong. They Brian wrong. May is wrong, even yeah. though he had a hand in this. Yeah. We are right. We absolutely. know Queen. Yes, absolutely. Now, our listeners in the UK may have already seen this movie. As we record, I think it came out yesterday in the UK. Okay. Um, so if you're in the UK listening, let us know if something we're telling you here on the podcast is changed in the movie. We're not saying what we said was wrong. We're saying if they changed it, it they're wrong in the movie. <laughs> and those of um, y'all that are listening in the United States of America that are like, nobody in the UK listens to you guys. Oh, hold yourself. Yeah. We are pretty big in five different countries. Hold yourself tight. Actually, in eight countries now, we've been Whoa, in the Spotify. I got trumped. Yeah, I have an updated list. Uh, eight countries now, we've been in the Spotify Top 100 in music podcasts. So, How about that? Shouts out to everybody Thank you, listening world. around the world. Thank you, planet. Thanks the Earth? support wow man france i'm trying to make france um uh uh canada japan uh i want to say like norway denmark i can't remember um anyway germany we're big in germany big in australia, australia. man okay. so shouts out to the netherlands and uh yeah so we're going to try and blow it out for you for the end of season two this will probably end up being very close to an xl episode if not double xl uh, there's so much we both literally had to just stop doing research. There's so much on this song and its impact and on Queen in general that we both had information overload and we were like, this thing is going to be six hours long. So, um, so let's jump on it. So let's jump on it. Hour number one. Here we go. <laughs> 1975's A Night at the Opera by the band Queen, written by Freddie Mercury. Uh, it is number 166 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs list. Sandwiched between number 167, Tracy Chapman's, fra- excuse me, Tracy Chapman's Fast Car, and number 165, Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. Wait, what? <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Listen, let's get real. Let's get real. Rolling Stone, come on. You are literally going to look me in the face. <laughs> And tell me that Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You is better than Bohemian freaking Rhapsody. You just love crying. I mean, really? Okay, she cried on camera and she tore up a picture of the Pope and everybody loves Prince and rest in peace, rest in power, rest in new power generation. But let's get real here. Come on. Are you Are you? Come on. No. Absolute injustice. <laughs> I don't care. Its position is one thing. If, if it's 166 all time, that's fine. Okay. And if you want to say it's just barely better than Tracy Chapman's fast I was about to car. Say, I thought Rob was going to be like, come on, Tracy Chapman. <laughs> come on. Come on. But, but there is no way. He slash he is awesome. Oh my gosh. There's no way you're going this to Sinead O'Connor. By the way, I read a thing about Sinead O'Connor maybe this morning, I think, about her that she, um, that she converted to islam okay and changed her name and now I, I wish i could remember what it was but like literally that's fresh hot fresh Sinead o'connor news for Muhammad you Ali. in the midst of all this so but rolling stone get a grip get a grip on yourselves but you've got some other stuff right man maybe uh it peaked uh bohemian rhapsody that is back to talking about the actual song that's the reason we're all here peaked at number nine on the billboard top 100 in the united states but went number one in the uk and this is an all-time revered song in the UK. I mean, it's rock royalty in the US too, but... Uh, Third highest selling single in the UK, just behind <clears throat> Candle in the Wind and Do They Know It's Christmas. 
Really? Yeah. The only do they the know it's Christmas? Yeah. Wow. We should do that song at Christmas nope. time. I love it. You like it? It's so racist and <laughs> no. and uh, like, a, what's the word? Patronizing? It's like, <laughs> no. we may have talked about this before, we have, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, let's not. I, yeah, hate, I hate that I song. Just, yeah. I just love it. Racist Christmas songs. Um, it was named in the 2002 Guinness Book of Records as the top British single of all time and speculated as being the most expensive song ever recorded at its time of recording. Uh, not Probably not now, but, um, you know, Bieber drops, you know, 300,000 pounds on a record in, you know, whatever. Sure. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, it is the only song to be a UK Christmas number one twice with the same recording. Now, Christ- you may Christmas? be asking yourself the what? same thing I did. What is a Christmas number one? Okay. I'd never heard that term. Uh, our listeners in the UK are probably very, very familiar with it. But apparently in the UK, it's a big deal. What song is number one the week of Christmas? I know. It's like it's got its own sort well, of that's category. that's why do they know it's Christmas is the number two song ever over there. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. it's a Christmas song on their biggest day of music. Yeah. Uh, okay. Who knows? So it's like. It, I never knew that. Big, big deal in, in the UK to be a Christmas number one. Huh. So uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was a Christmas number one two times with the same, like not a re-recorded version or a cover version with the same exact uh, sound recording um, two times. Uh, The song was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2004. Just the song. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody is going in the Grammy Hall of Fame, period. So, like, we're talking about an all-time iconic piece of rock music, music period history. Just, boom, history. It was chosen by Rolling Stone readers as the greatest vocal performance in rock history. Okay, greatest vocal performance in rock history. And so I thought, okay, who were the challengers to this? You know what I mean? Cuz like mm-hmm. I have no I have no problems with that. Sure. As as much as I have problems with the with the ranking against Sinead O'Connor, <laughs> I don't have a problem with calling this the greatest vocal <laughs> performance in rock history. Cuz that doesn't just mean solo performance or front vocal. It's just vocal in Across the board, right. because there's so many vocal parts. Yeah, like, there's a million vocal parts, and they're all amazing on this song. So here's the top ten vocal performances in rock history as voted by Rolling Stone readers. Number ten, Joe Cocker with a little help from my friends. Can't argue with that. That's great. That's top ten. Number nine, I feel like I should almost come back to number nine, uh, but it's I don't feel like it belongs on this list. Number nine, Kurt Cobain. Where did you sleep last night? From from Kirk their Kirk MTV Unplugged. Anything. I'm not a Nirvana fan. So. It's I listened to it this morning. Uh, you know what? Maybe no. Just, we got enough no, to listen to. Okay, no okay, 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 okay. All right. It's awful. Okay. It's terrible. I mean, it's fine. It was the last song of their MTV Unplugged album, which is the only Nirvana album I ever bought. I admit, I bought it. I enjoyed it. It was fine. Um, but there's no way that's in the top ten vocal performances of all time. Forget it. Uh, number eight, Deep Purple, Child in Time. Number seven, the Rolling Stones "Give Me Shelter," uh, and Rolling Stones kind of asserts, and I would agree that a lot of that is added is is uh, because of the BGVs from Mary Clayton. She's just like, you know, that's what makes that like cool. Um, number six, Led Zeppelin "Stairway to Heaven." Number five, Tina Turner "River Deep Mountain High," which I had not heard before, but is is really good, and she really goes for it. Um, and there's some interesting story about how how she ended up recording it. Uh, number four, the Who "Love Rain Over Me." Uh, or is actually O apostrophe E R or Love Rain Over Me. Number three, The Beatles. You want to guess the song? Greatest. Hey Jude. Uh. Nope. It's Twist and Shout. What? That's not even. Twist and Shout. Charlie Checker made that big. Because, because <laughs> Lennon's throat was shredded and he's all, Stick it up, baby! 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's just screaming. And he said like his voice wasn't the same after that for a long time. Huh. That So that was people just dug it that he was like screaming. Uh, of course, number one is Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Number two, you want to take any guesses? This, this is a hard thing to just pull out of the air. The number two uh, greatest vocal performance in rock history as voted by Rolling Stone readers is Pink Floyd's the great gig in the sky. Oh, because the ah, yeah, well, I think it's a really interesting yeah, choice. Yeah. Kind of like a, it's just vocalizing. It wasn't a, um, you know, I read a little thing about it, and they, you know, they were like, we didn't, we didn't want a an ooh baby kind uh-huh. of lyrics. You know what I mean? It was we just wanted some like power. You know, I what had mean? a friend that memorized. It's, it's pretty weird to just pull out of the air with no music. Could yeah. you do it? I had a friend. As I a, could get a. I could get a little. I bit had a friend it. that at a party track, she would just stand up in the middle if it got quiet <laughs> and just start belting it, and it was flawless, and it was funny and fun and neat. Wow. So that's a cool little party trick. Those of you out there, but that is an amazing. Kim Dennis, if you're listening, that's a neat trick. That is an amazing <laughs> performance. Uh, and then a number number one, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, Grammy nominations. Listen, we're still talking about charts and awards right here. This is like section one, a of the podcast, uh, Grammy nominations for best pop vocal performance by a duo group or chorus. It was nominated, did not win. It lost to Chicago. If you leave me now. Okay. Yeah. You leave me now. And I thought my first thought was I'm pricked against it. I don't know. Uh, but the, the melody on, if you leave me now is just so killer. Um, so I don't know, whatever you could have that argument. Uh, it was nominated for best arrangement for voices. Now this is rough. This is rough. Um, it lost to afternoon delight no. by Starland vocal band. <laughs> That's a pretty bad I take. You're going to say by the anchorman, uh, crew. Well, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, afternoon delight won the Grammy for best arrangement for voices. That's a pretty bad take. People talk about being on the wrong side of history. Like that's being on the wrong side of history. If you voted for afternoon delight over Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> yeah. for for best arrangement for voices, I mean, come on, it's a freaking operetta. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a- afternoon delight is sky rockets in flight. Boo! Like come on, it's fine. It's cool. No, I'm gonna stop. Okay. Um, so I think that about covers just charts and general information. <laughs> you're gonna say about the this song. song. That wraps it up. Wraps it up. We'll see you guys in season three. All right. Um, we've done a lot of heavy heavy editing on this episode. Um, interesting thing about this song is let me let me ask you a question. Can you sing me the chorus of Bohemian Rhapsody? I don't know which part would be considered the chorus. Yeah, there I'm isn't sure one. No chorus, yeah. There's not a chorus. It's really a... It never says Bohemian Rhapsody. It never, never says song. the title. It doesn't have a hook. You know what I mean? It's not... There's not There's not even a repeated riff. Yeah, like um, even when we were thinking about... When we say, let's play a little sample. Yeah. What part do you pick? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have... It doesn't... Ha- it's, it's very atypical. It's really more in the form of a of a classical suite composition. Mm-hmm. It's got an intro, a ballad section, an opera passage, a hard rock section, and then kind of a coda to wrap it all up. Um, and so it really, it really moves more like an actual, like an operetta, a mini opera. Um, and part of the idea for the song was to be not, not a fully serious opera, uh, operetta, but um, to kind of be a tongue in cheek, but halfway serious classical composition. Like uh, that was part of the part of the goal for old Freddie Mercury. Um, it is also difficult to say what key this song is in. 
Yeah, because it, it's in several, right? It, yeah, it jumps around B the, the flat, E flat, the A, tonal. F. Yes, exactly. The tonal center sort of shifts multiple times throughout the song. At various times, it finds itself in E flat, B flat, A, with a lot of chromatic movement, and it actually ends in F. The last section is in F. So, you know, it, if you were looking at it at sheet music, if you're going to play piano, it would start in some key, but then there would be a lot of different sections where the keys would just be different, you know. Um, and really, the one that stands out is A. It's very weird that it ends up in A. Yeah, because E flat, B flat, flat and, and F, F all those are all kind of relative, you know, they, they share a lot of tonal information. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, not so much, you know what I mean? Um, but that's the section that is, I see a little silhouette of a man. That's that section is an A. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, do we want to hit sections? Is that how let's do it? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's bring so in another section of the song and let's play uh, a little bit more. So here's section two. Of, I guess you, uh, heard, you heard the first part that's early, right. which is the, is this the real life? That's the acapella intro. Yeah. And that part is in B flat. Yeah. So, so here we go. You yeah. can go from, and then we, we left as, um, his mama just killed oh, yeah, a mama man. Oh, yeah, mama just killed a man. Okay, yeah. which so, is the verse in the piano part. So, so do you think, now, I'm going to, do you think he killed a man or do you think his mama just killed a man? Oh, is he saying like, mama, I just killed a man? He just left out I? Yeah. Like, he's telling mama just killed a man? Yes. Or is he saying that his mother just killed a yeah, man? Yeah, exactly. It, it's him. It's not, I'm yeah. just kidding. It's not. His mama didn't actually kill a man. His He killed a man uh, is, the, is how the story goes. I was just always thought that was a funny joke to say that it was like, oh, his, my mom just mom! killed a man. Yeah, <laughs> mom, what did you do, mama, mama? <laughs> I don't know. That wasn't a reference to anything. I was Normally trying to say off, was that a no. Stewie from Family Guy, but that's no. quicker. Mommy. Yeah. No. Was that a, a Will Ferrell from Ma the Meatloaf? <laughs> it was kind of a combination of the. No, two. that was just be me, me being Rob weird. yelling his mother's yeah. name. Sorry. Um, okay, so let's get into another section here. Let's let's go to that first verse and, and carry a little bit uh, carry a little bit through the song. Okay. Okay, so that's kind of the middle section, the ballad section. Um, that is, it, I guess it's kind of like verses. It really feels yeah, like absolutely. feels like verses. There's just no chorus. I just put that as like section two in my yeah. notes. I don't know how they're labeled or whatnot. But. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the story uh, of this song is kind of up for up for grabs. Really, it's not something that um, Freddie Mercury ever really talked about, um, and it's not something that the band talks about. They go out of their way to really not reveal the stories behind their songs. They they feel it's better left up the to... The movie's going to come out and be like, this is what the story, <laughs> this is the whole thing about how, exactly. what everything's about. Exactly. They finally decided to tell it the week we put out a podcast <laughs> that said they don't talk about it. Um, They're saying, you're going to hear on the Great Song Podcast this, but... <laughs> yeah, that's right. In the credits, in the- there's just a big... Uh, th- it just says, you know, it's like special thanks to blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then it's just going to have like special not thanks It's going to have our logo with a just say no <laughs> thing through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was one of those things that they said it's it's best 
left to your own personal interpretation. You know, um, a lot of people think it's about um, that if you if you just kind of take the story literally, it's a guy who who you know makes a mistake, he kills a guy, and and he's in trouble, and then you've got this operatic section where all these people are basically fighting over his fate. You know what is going to be the the fate of this guy. Um, this was originally um, called the Cowboy Song, uh, or at least part Western. of it was. What's that? It was a Western. It's it a Western, yeah. And that kind of makes sense. This fir- this first section, Mama just killed a man, put a gun against his head. How, like, how do you feel the feel of it? Like if you're going to set a time signature, would you be like kind of oh, like that? Well, see, I would connect it. I connect it immediately to dun, dun, Johnny dun, Cash. Dun, 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 uh, yeah, exactly. Dun, dun, dun. I shot a man in Reno just to watch oh, him die. Yeah, that's good. That kind of you know, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Um, Chris Smith, a friend of Freddie Mercury's, um, said, you know, a lot of this material or at least some of this material originated in the late sixties as a piece known as the cowboy song, which contained the lyric mama just killed a man. Um, and, um, but Freddie Mercury said, uh, that it was basically like three songs that he wanted to put out and he just put them together. He just thought, I'm going to do, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to do exactly as I please at as many multi-layered harmonies as possible and uh, just, you know, go really over the top. So, um, that's kind of what he did. It, it was, it was a, you know, we've had bands do this later. Um, and I think one of our favorite queen influenced bands is uh dream theater, a lot of queen influence in dream theater. And they'll do this a lot. They'll take a, take a section of songs and put them together as mm-hmm. a suite um, they actually did a cover of this on Change they the did, Season. They have a great cover of this. Uh, yeah, but we'll maybe talk about it later. Maybe even play a little bit of it if you're good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, the operatic section, which uh, I guess we'll talk to well, and talk to what if we're going like chronologically, we should go guitar solo okay. section next. Yeah, right? yeah. So let's, let's talk do it. About so that. let's play. This is the end of. There's another section like the one we just played you. Another sort of verse section. Verse. Um, yeah, verse ish. And then it, uh, and then it gives way to this just beautiful all-time great guitar solo, which is in E flat, which is a weird place to have a guitar solo of True. this magnitude. Yeah, but it and it'll wrap up in the A part, I guess. That's right. So We're going from E flat, e flat to, to A. A. So if you've ever wondered how to do a tritone key change, yeah, you're out. about to learn. Here we go. Thank you, Brian May. Yes. Oh, man. Come on. Good job. Yeah. Another BM. Nice job, Brian. That was awesome, man. (laughs) Absolutely. That solo, man, is just like, okay, I discovered this song like so many other people in my generation did from the movie Wayne's World. Um, That was my introduction to the song, and I had the soundtrack, and I played it over and over and over. That whole soundtrack was just pretty stinking good. Um, But this, at at that period in time for me, was a not only just a beautiful guitar solo, but sort of a mind-blowing technical solo. You know what I mean? Now I listen to it and I go, 
all right, I can play that. That's no problem. I can play that without practicing, you know, but it's still, there's a lot of thought put into it. And Brian may said as much, he, he was, we've talked, we've talked before, uh, even a couple of weeks ago when we talked to, uh, Phil Grande, uh, Joe Cocker's lead guitar player. He talked about just playing from the gut, playing from the heart. Brian May's the opposite. Brian May is meticulous. If, yeah, meticulous is the word. He is a brain. The guy's doing uh, astrophysics now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like um, he he says, and I think this is true that uh, if you just if you let your fingers be in charge, that they kind of get predictable. You know what I mean? That your your fingers will kind of uh, gravitate to the same sorts of things. But if you let your brain lead the way with your solo playing, that it'll lead you into some different places. And you can tell that in this solo. This is a solo that you're not necessarily going to just rip, you know, off in a first take. This is something that you've thought about and you've put together and you've, you know, this is a a melody. This is an interlude, uh, you know what I mean, that is very, very, very melodic, very singable, um, and obviously very memorable. So all I got, I'll tie in. That's so neat what you said there um, with the astrophysicist part, because I want to tie it into the next part since we're going to listen to it. The yeah. operatic part. Yeah. Have you heard that each of the characters is one of them? Have you heard that? I have not heard that this. Mercury is the um, Scaramouche. He's the uh-huh. Italian clown. Okay. That Galileo is Brian May because okay, he's the astrophysicist. I did I did then, read that that was maybe thrown in for him as a reference. Yeah, to as him. a reference to him. And then obviously there's five mentioned, but like. Figaro is, I don't remember who's who there, but I just, when you mentioned that astrophysicist part, huh. I was like, I think I'd heard that before. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, why don't we, why let's don't we hear the operatic let's, part? Let's this hear the, the operatic section. This will be the next section. I, I will say this by all accounts, there's a line in the trailer for, for the Bohemian Rhapsody movie where he's, he's like playing and he very matter of factly says, well, this is where the operatic section comes in. Uh-huh. Uh, and by all accounts, that's a real quote. That that he was playing the song for um, for somebody I can't remember who I may have it in my notes and and just sort of very ma- matter of factly said this is where the operatic section comes in and they had a laugh and they went to lunch like it was just oh okay of course sure. yeah of course the operatic section sure so yeah let's take a listen to this uh, operatic section. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very very frightening me. After we do this opera bit, we're going to do this opera bit and then it's time to rock. Uh, so let me, let me introduce a little glossary here uh, for the, for the operatic section. We have some characters that you just mentioned uh, and I want to give a little bit of, there's some, some, you know, non-English uh, terminology here. So let's talk a little bit about it. Um, Scaramouche, as you mentioned, is an Italian clown uh, often found in Italian theatrical literature, uh, kind of a, 
kind of a generic character uh, that is found, you know, just a lot. He's, he's Scaramouche. Um, think uh, former White House Director of Communications, Anthony Scaramucci. And really, you've pretty much about got it. Almost spelled it. Italian right? clown. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, Fandango uh, is, of course, a ticket purchasing website for movies. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It's Freddie a, Mercury is a prophet. Yes. Uh, uh, just it's a, a Spanish dance. Spanish dance called the Fandango. Although, shouts out to WWE wrestler Fandango. I know you're injured. Get well soon. All right. Um, Fandango. Yeah. Galileo, uh, often called the father of science, uh, astronomy, and kind of an all around genius. Also labeled a heretic for his views of heliocentrism or the idea that the solar system revolves around the sun. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah. Shouts out to all the flat earthers out there who listen to the show. I don't know if, I don't know if you're out there or not. I watched but, uh, year one. But be yet. careful, you're close to the edge. I watched year one the other day. Have you ever seen it? Uh, Jack, Jack Black, Black and one? Michael Sarah. It's hilariously stupid, but don't watch it. <laughs> okay. Um, Beelzebub, uh, you, you may have heard us talk a little bit about Beelzebub in the, uh, last week's Charlie Daniels episode. Uh, but, uh, you may know him as Baal if you're a Philistine or Canaanite <laughs> or otherwise down with the Bible. Uh, generally speaking, a demonic bad guy that you don't want to be associated with. And then, uh, lastly, we have Bismillah, Bismillah. Uh, the name for a particular Islamic phrase, which when recited translates to in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. So it is, it is not that phrase like Bismillah does not translate to that, but it is the name of that phrase, which translates to that. So it, it has its own thing and it's often cited in Islamic literature and prayer. Um, so yeah, that's kind Figaro? of your Did we talk about glossary. It? Oh no, Figaro. You got Figaro? No. Uh, Figaro's, Figaro's cat? the cat. Yeah. yeah. Figaro's the cat. Know, yeah, from sure. The, from the cartoon. Yes. Uh, Figaro's uh, famous, uh, famous in, uh, in operatic literature. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yes. Figaro was the cat in Pinocchio. Yes. 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 Um, but uh, yes, also famous, famous in operatic literature. Mozart, I believe. Figaro, the marriage of Figaro. Um, so yeah, so let's that's kind of the rock section. Yeah, man. <laughs> Please. I mean, I feel like I'm wearing a powdered wig now. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's rock and roll a little bit, shall we? part during Wayne's world where they're all riding down the car and they've been headbanging and then at the end it's like everybody's just chill all the problems in the world are gone the cares of the day have been washed away and uh such great guitar riffness so much like from 
Go. No. No. You, you uh, go. Me. You. Did you see that Freddie Mercury wrote all those guitar parts on piano? On piano. How awesome. Yeah. Good. That's gracious. great. Thinking like are, a guitar player. Those are killed. I love that Like Rob is air pianoing this. I am. Like it was written. I'm a real. As it is written. I'm a real air pianist. Um, Any line, anytime you get to spit in someone's eye. That's right. That's rock and roll. That is rock and you think roll. You spit in my eye. It's true. Man, we haven't even mentioned yet Freddie Mercury's voice. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. The guy, I mean. We'll talk on it and meet the band. We geez. haven't even met the band yet. We've we just haven't. been talking about him. Holy we'll get there. cow. Yeah, Man. We'll get there. I can't wait. There's so much. Um, Should we meet the band and then wrap it up with the outro? Yeah. Know, okay. T- yeah. We just touched on him. Let's. Sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's just it's hit a time. quick meet the band section. It's not quick. Yeah. As let, quick as we can do it. All right. Let's meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey. All right. We're gonna meet the band as best we can of Queen. Um, lead vocalist and piano on this particular tune and all the Queen stuff. Freddie Mercury. I mean, you could talk for hours alone about Freddie Mercury. There's his his information out there is so vast, but I'll just hit some really quick highlights. Uh, four octave vocal range, Ooh. which is a low F or like an F2 to a high F, which is like an F6. That's ridiculous. That's Yeah, his, his voice is nasty. And that's without, you know, like they say Mariah Carey has like an eight octave vocal range, but that's with her like whistle tones and all that stuff. Sure. His is all... Like he's yeah. really powerful. Voice. It. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, died in 91 at the age of 45 of AIDS. We're going to steer clear of most of the controversial topics and everything. I think just to, I mean, we may touch on it later, but for now, we'll just keep it, keep it rolling. He used a broken microphone stand as a constant prop. Yeah. Which is such a cool prop. It, it was an accidental. He, uh, you know, his, his microphone stand broke one night and he used it and was like, Yes. I mean, right. like, come on. This feels this, right. This feels right. Yeah. Which is, I think, the coolest thing It ever. is very cool. If you've ever seen him perform with it, like, it, it works awesome. for him. It does. Like, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, he wrote Killer Queen, We Are the Champions, and a bunch of other songs. Um, his original name is Farouk Balsara. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Whoa. I just farouked in my mouth there a little bit. <laughs> Hey, do you want to? Do you got any Freddie Mercury facts? You want to hit? I don't want to leave any big points out that you may see. Oh any. man, hang on. Let me. No, I I did want to point out his uh, his name because I, I never really uh, uh, realized that his name was uh, was that. But now I can't find my notes on it. That's so. okay. I just actually needed a break to to wipe my mouth <laughs> off there. But, uh, <laughs> on guitar, Brian May ranked number twenty six of the all time Rolling Stones guitar players, um, hmm. just behind Tony Omi and just ahead of Bo Diddley. So, okay. I mean, well, you can everybody can make argue the argument. on that. Yeah, list. yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrote, "We will rock you." The show must go on. Fat Bottom Girls. Now, have you heard his Starfleet project? Uh, yeah, I it's have, him and Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, I hadn't till I started doing research. I was like, "How have I never heard of this um, song called Blues Breaker and Let Me Out?" It's just him and Van Halen. Yeah, playing guitar. They just got together for a couple of days and yeah, recorded in '83. Um, Eddie Van Halen actually breaks a string in Let Me Out and finished the song with just the other five strings nice. and they just kept it there. Nice. Like, that's such a cool, how song. very Paganini of him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, plays guitar on you and I, the new late or the, one of the newer lady Gaga songs. Mm. I didn't know that was Brian May. Interesting. Um, and I was trying to look up the best, like if I was going to pick my best Brian May solo, 
I'd probably pick It's Hard Life, maybe. I don't know. You can look that one up if you want. I don't know. Do you have one that just sticks out? This was the this was this top of the heat for me, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's t- tough to beat this one. True. Um, on drums, Roger Taylor. He hits the high note on this song. Um, the the For, for me. me. That's it. For me. Everybody everybody reach for it. That's one where there's the guy and I wish I oh I wish I had the actor's name on the on the on just at the ready. But uh, one of the guys in Wayne's World goes cross-eyed when they hit that yeah, note, and it's hysterical. Yeah, it's awesome. um, he co-wrote Under Pressure. Um, first instrument was the ukulele, and he was in a band at the age of seven playing ukulele, traveling around playing the uke. Who isn't? Um, in 99, he was the first living person to be featured on a royal mailing stamp. Other than the British royal family. Wow. uh, He's the first living person ever. And it's because he came just after the Freddie Mercury stamp. So, like, they went through the Queen. Oh, I see. And he just happened to be second. So, how neat is that to be the first living person on a stamp other than the royal family? That's going to be, that's going to win somebody a trivia. Like, that's going to win somebody a game of HQ trivia. That's right. When you're on uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and you win it, you can send us just Care the Great Song podcast. Here's a check. That's right. 100,000. We're not easy. Yeah, we're fine. Yeah, we're good. Roger Taylor. Yeah, Roger Taylor. Um, On bass, uh, John Deacon. If you were going to pick what song of Queens do you think Roger Taylor or John Deacon wrote, what do you think it would be? Uh, think just bass. Another one bites the another dust. Another one bites yeah. the dust. That's his claim to fame for the one he wrote. That's of course awesome. you did. John Deacon. Yeah. Uh, on the first album, he actually went by Deacon John to sound interesting, which mm. is super cool, but he hated it. They talked him into doing that. So then he got his way and got his back to his real name for all the rest of the following albums. So John Deacon. And I mean, we could talk about each mer- I tried to keep this Meet the Band section as concise and to the point as possible because there's so much song heaviness in this. There and- is, but we got to, we're both guitar players. We got to talk a little bit about Brian May's. Guitars his guitar and his approach. Sure. It's so interesting. The guy is unlike anybody else, literally Absolutely. in the world. Uh, he plays a homemade guitar that he built with his dad when he was a kid, and he's been playing it since then. It's the same one. Um, and he has, I think he has four or five that they travel with. I watched like a half hour thing on his rig, um, and he has like four or five guitars that he travels with. There's one. That is his original guitar. That is the one that he plays whenever possible. Um, and then there's one that is an exact, uh, a handmade copy of it. Replica. Um, yeah, a replica that is, you know, exactly the same. And then I think he's got one like machine made replica. And there's one that is, that serves a special purpose. I think it's a special tuning or maybe it's a 12 string. I, I can't remember exactly. It's green. Um, the one that he plays most of the time is this kind of brownish red color. It's little, um, yeah, it's dark. And, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, handmade that guitar with his dad. Now you can buy it. There is a Brian May signature model that you can buy. I've seen one in my life, um, and that is the copy. It's not made by like you know Fender or Gibson or whatever. I forget exactly the company that makes it, but it's the Brian May model. It's got all kinds of weird buttons, uh, like not push buttons, but they're like like buttons that you flip. You know what I mean? Like a switch. It's got like six switches on it that change the polarity of the pickups the guy's just a whiz like just it's insane but you can hear it even in bohemian rhapsody the variance in tone that he gets through this song he gets super clean 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 stuff that you hear on like another one bites the dust and then he gets just nasty distorted stuff that you hear on this and 
just wild variations in tone, even within this one song. You know what I mean? Just that one section at the end before it goes to the chill part that we just played. The if you listen to that with headphones or even just sitting in front of some good speakers, you hear it. That appears. That's that's three different takes in three different sections of the stereo field with three totally different tones. Um, and all coming from his one guitar, he plays through Vox AC30s, and that's it. He controls all his volume, all his all his distortion with his volume knob. That's awesome. He doesn't use pedals. He just or he may use pedals or processors of some kind, but he doesn't change anything live except with his his uh, volume knob on his guitar. That's awesome. He plays with a coin, not a pick. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, that's he, cool. He plays with a a, a ten, ten pence uh, okay. coin. That's um, cool. Yeah. Has never never played with a pick. He's just always played with a coin. And you can hear it sometimes when he's um you get the you get a you get a different kind of attack with a coin that you do from pick because it's metallic and it's when got he drops the, it on the ground and it's just change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like really, I mean, if somebody if you know, standard guitar player throws a pick at you, you're like, Oh, that's cool, you know what I mean? But like if Brian May throws like, sweet ten cents. I got yeah, that is awesome. Go get a candy bar. I can almost buy a stick of gum. Uh <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he's just, he's a fascinating guy. Like he's really put a lot of thought into everything and his, his methodology is different. His playing is different. His approach is different. His gear is different. It just, everything about him. He's got a big old white curly fro now. It's just, he's cool. Good job, Brian May. Brian May. Shouts out to Brian May. So let's meet the band. One of the greats. You just met Queen. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I did want to say about the band, they were originally as sort of the, in the same, in the same way that Chevy Chase played drums for Steely Dan. Uh, Queen was originally called Smile. In the pre-Freddie Mercury days, uh, Brian May, original bassist Tim Staffel, and Roger Taylor had a band called Smile. Eventually, Freddie Mercury like became friends with them uh, in, in university, I think, and um, he joined, and Tim Staffel, the original bassist, left to join a band called Humpy Bong. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. And uh, the group changed their name to Queen. Humpy Bong sounds like um, it sounds like it came from a Mad Lib. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, great. If you're out there starting a band and you don't know Give how me to an name adjective. it, yeah, exactly. The best way the best way to get band names at random is just to do Mad Libs. <laughs> and Humpy Bong definitely sounds like it came from that. Awesome. Uh, so shouts out to uh, shouts out to Mad Libs and Humpy Bongs everywhere. Um, <laughs> Queen, uh, this this was interesting. Um, they in in all of their records, all of their early records, it would say, um, you know, vocals and piano, Freddie Mercury, guitars, Brian May, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it would say uh, nobody played synthesizer on in the liner notes, in all oh, the production notes. It would say that because people often mistook their heavily layered guitars for synthesizers That's and cool. they kind of took offense to it. They're yeah. like, no, it's no, not a synthesizer. We're, like, we're a rock band. Yeah, exactly. We're doing this, you know, they, they said that they didn't have anything against synthesizers, but they just got tired of people thinking that they were using them when they really weren't. Cause that would be a lot easier to just yeah. play a synth part and do it once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Instead of, there's 13 guitar tracks. Yeah. You got to think like part of the, part of the story of this song is the immense amount of recording oh, yeah. that went into it. Like 180 was, overdubs on yeah. the final recording? 180. And that's, and that's almost wore the tape out. I was going to say, let's talk about that process a little bit. So in today's world, what you have is, is digital recording software and you go into Pro Tools, Logic Pro, you know, whatever you're using, GarageBand even. GarageBand, the, the, whatever the, um, whatever the, the recording 
system that came with your $300 laptop is more advanced as far as being able to use more tracks than what Queen had to work with here. They were using 24-track tape, um, which even for that time was pretty new. Up until then, everything was 16-track, really. And this was this is 76. Yeah. So, um, so it's 24-track tape for them. And so what that means is you can basically record um, 22, 23 tracks, and then you take that and you bounce it down, which means that you take those tracks, mix them to a single track, that then you can't change anymore. Um, and that track, then you start layering these bounce tracks on top of each other. And so this song is just full of overdub after overdub after overdub. It took three weeks alone just to record the operatic section. So that gives you some idea of like <clears throat> the level to which, I mean, JP said they literally, there, there was literally uh, like, they talk about the amount of, I read a really cool interview uh, with Roy Thomas Baker, who produced it, engineered it, uh, and, and I think mixed it. Um, but he was talking about that, uh, that they, you know, they were just literally just cutting, splicing tape all over the place. And, you know, um, said it was almost transparent. It was almost, yeah. By the time they got done the, the, the vocal section, he said at the end of the operatic section, you can really start to hear some, uh, tape distortion in the, the vocals because they had, it had been transferred so many times that it started to distort the sound. Um, but uh recorded in six different studios yeah six different studios over you know quite a quite a period of time it was just a whole lot of work like this is (laughs) you know and 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 freddie mercury was a very meticulous guy i think they all all were um they wanted to get it you know just right you know they had a obviously you can't you can't create something like bohemian rhapsody without a vision sure so yeah you gotta um, have the end product in mind exactly can't just jump in and be like let's see where this thing goes exactly yeah think we might just do something operatic here we'll figure it out we'll do it live um (laughs) speaking of doing it live this is an interesting note actually when they when they did this song live at first when they at the very earliest sections of them doing the song they actually split it into three different sections okay and um and they didn't do the operatic section at all they would play part of it here and then go into another song and then they would play a different song and then go into another section of bohemian rhapsody and then uh, then, you know, put, put the last section in somewhere else, um, which really ugh, kind of a letdown. It's confusing. Yeah. Cause especially now that we've heard it this way for so long, like yeah. you, you're waiting for the next part. You're exactly. anticipating. Yeah, the next exactly. Part. So then if it's, you know, if they're going from, Mama just killed a man into like fat bottom girls, <laughs> it's not really working, yeah. you know? Um, but, um, but then later they, they figured out a way to do it where they used a video screen to show, the operatic section and they would literally walk off stage. Um, and so they would get to, uh, the end of the guitar solo. Staccato piano. And they walk off. Um, so that's cool. And then it's, and then I, I, I heard them do it, not live, but I, I saw a thing of them doing it. Uh, and it's on a recording this way where they come back in and the live band joins the track and the energy just goes through the roof. You know sure. what I'm saying? That's like, amazing. it's very, very, very cool. Um, and uh, so sp- speaking of the video, why don't we transition a little bit? Because the, the video for this is kind of um, revolutionary in that they weren't the first people to make a music video, but this was before the music video as we know it. Um, it was like a promo video. Is what it was. A, yeah, exactly. It was a... Um, this is before MTV. MTV doesn't launch for another eight years. Um, 
And what happened was they didn't want to go on the British show Top of the Pops, which is basically if you're in the States, it's like American Bandstand. If you're old enough to remember American Bandstand. Dick Clark. Like TRL sort of uh, or even I don't know what the current, you know, whatever. Um, Midnight Special. Yeah, Midnight Special, exactly. Uh, so Top of the Pops is the the, the British um, equivalent. But they didn't want to go on Top of the Pops and lip sync this song. That was what you did in those days. You would go and they would play your hits over the speaker system and you would play with no Air band. no cord plugged into your guitar and, you know, whatever. Um, they didn't want to do that. Uh, and they would lip sync the weird operatic section. And it just looks stupid. <laughs> so uh, so they made a video to accompany the, the you know, the, the album. Uh, music videos weren't really a thing yet, but they um, did it as a promotional component for the song. And it was kind of a game changer. Um, it became the the standard like this. was Oh, this is like you have to do this now, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like this is this is the next thing that is if you're going to make an album and market it, you have to do this uh, because it adds a whole other layer of depth to, you know, whatever. And the mu- music to the video song to publicity. To yeah. Everything, like and, and it puts, it puts, puts faces on your, you know, on your stuff. Um, Context. And, yeah. And you can kind of tell a story with it as opposed to just a live performance on, or quote unquote live performance on top of the pops or whatever. Um, so they did some cool things with the video. There's, you know, where the, the uh, Freddie Mercury's face kind of goes like a million different faces, you know, that was all done with practical effects. It wasn't done with, and even the, the four faces with the black screen, Mm -hmm. that's actually the album cover of queen two, but this song isn't on queen two, right? Which I think is neat in and of itself. It's true. Kind of self-referential there. Um, so, uh, the, the guardian ranked the music video for Bohemian Rhapsody, number 31, on their list of now this is interesting not their list of greatest music videos ever not their greatest list of you know whatever is the 50 key events in rock music history wow uh adding that it ensured that videos would henceforth be a mandatory tool in the marketing of music so it was a landmark in that it wasn't the first music video but it connected with this song did it rank above or below Video Killed the Radio Star? I wonder on that list. Uh, that's a good question. That's, 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 uh, good question. Yeah, that list was interesting. I don't have it in front neat. of me, but I'd it like had a lot of different events. It had like Chuck Berry going to jail and, you know, like just different kinds of different kinds of things on it. It was, it was really interesting. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, unless, you, unless you've got something that's connected to the video or whatever, just, just stop me. We've both got so much, so much to, you know, get into. I wanted to talk a, a little bit from this interview with Roy Thomas Baker, who was the producer and engineer of the song. He had some interesting stuff uh, with Sound on Sound magazine. This is from a 1995 interview with Sound on Sound magazine. Um, he talked about uh, several different things. Um, he said, this is one of the things that even even in the trailer for the movie, they, they, they're talking about um, that the record is too long. And they're saying, you know, it's six minutes. Nobody's going to play it. And I'm not going to give it away. I found this in my research, but there's something significant about that scene that is connected um, to something else we've talked about in the podcast. I'm not going to give it away. Maybe we'll talk about it afterward. But um, but anyway, there's something so, a cool Easter egg okay. when he's ta- when they're talking to the record executives. Okay, keep your eyes open. Um, but uh, the record company was cautious about releasing the song as a single because of its length. 
the band insisted that it would work, though. They asked a DJ named Kenny Everett of nearby Capital Radio his opinion, and he said, it's so good, they'll have to invent a new chart position. Instead of it being number one, it'll be number half. Um, <laughs> That's a great line. So they gave him a copy, making him, quote unquote, like winky wink, promise not to play it. Um and so, of course, the next morning he played it and uh, he played the beginning at first. And then he said, oh, I promised the guys I wouldn't play it. So he stopped. He gave people like oh, a little a great tease. teaser. Yeah. And, uh, but eventually he played the track like 14 times over the weekend <laughs> and people started flocking to record stores to get it. One problem. Yeah. It wasn't out yet. It was not yet available. Um, meanwhile, a U.S. radio big shot named Paul Drew happened to hear it while he was in London and he managed to get a copy and started playing it on his stations that he owned and operated back in the States, forcing the hand of Electro Records, which was Queen's distributor in the States. So uh, what Roy Baker uh, said was it was a strange situation where radio on both sides of the Atlantic was breaking a record that the record company said would never get airplay. So like it's going nuts on radio. The, the, it's not even out yet. And the, and the record company was going, nobody's going to play it, guys. Sorry. You know, we shouldn't, can't release it as a single. Nobody's going to play it. And they're like, ta-da! Like it's taken over the world already. Um, he also said, we never did a rough mix. Um, they, they were very, they kept everything close to the chest with their mixes because they didn't want the record companies to interfere and they didn't want stuff to get leaked or, or, misheard you know what i mean people hear something and it's not finished and they start to make judgments about it um he said we all had phillips dictaphones that we'd stick near the studio monitors and record a mix for private listening uh we'd attempt some rough mixes ourselves for other songs just to see if edits would work but rough mixes had a habit of getting into the record company's hands prematurely so if we ever did any we would hide them or disguise them he said once at trident studios billy cobham uh was working next door and we hid our tapes in his control room and labeled them killy bobham uh <laughs> If it had been labeled Queen, we knew that EMI would eventually have a copy Humpy the next bongs. next day. Yeah, exactly. Humpy bongs. Yeah. Uh, so he said if they if they put their own names on it, they knew the record company would end up with it. So they did Killy Bobham instead. That's pretty, cool. That's pretty great. Uh, he also talked a little bit about um, band tensions as far as songwriting. Um, that they he said most of their arguments were about who would have the B side of of a, a hit of a hit. Yeah, you know. Um, because of what royalties. Is on the, I don't even know what's on the B side of this. I, I think it's called I'm in love with my car. Okay. It's, I, I may be botching the title, but that, I think that's the, that's gist the concept. Of it. Yeah. Um, it may be, I'm, I'm overtaken with my vehicle, uh, <laughs> or I'm smitten by my Volkswagen. That's my truck. <laughs> um, yeah, he said, uh, I remember Roger moping or moping about, excuse me, I almost moved into uh, American English. I remember Roger moping about because he had really wanted his song, I'm in love with my car. That's what it is. On the B side of Bohemian Rhapsody, he locked himself in the tape closet and said he wouldn't come out until they agreed to put it on as the B side. And eventually they did. So uh, that's how I'm in love with my car ended up as the B side cool. to Bohemian Rhapsody. What else you got, man? There's so oh, much man, to talk about. So much. Well, let's play the. We haven't played the outro yet since okay. we've heard all the sections. So let's hear the anyway the wind blows. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm back. And that amazing gong. Nothing really matters. Got to play it through the gong. Absolutely.
that magnificent gong, 60-inch <laughs> gong that had to be cleaned, packed, and put on tour for one gong hit at wow. the end of this song. What kind of trouble is that? But worth every minute worth, of the gongness. Absolutely. And, how would, yeah. and I think this was kind of the, that became kind of a thing for drummers in sure. the, in the least like 80s probably. Bring the gong. Uh, bring yeah. the gong, man. Every, like Neil Peart and Alex, uh, Alex Van Halen, you know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of guys. Chad Cochran. A lot of guys with big drum needed. kits had a gong. <laughs> yeah. The um, same piano that Freddie Mercury plays is the same piano that Paul McCartney plays on Hey Jude. Whoa. Boom. Wow. Another song that's too long for radio, they Man. said. And that piano, what kind of character Dang. does that piano have? Oh, my gosh. That's one of those things that you would sit down at, like, feel like hallowed ground. That's right. Like, and you play oh. chopsticks. And it sounds like... <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you guys know heart and soul. Here we go. And, uh, oh, uh, gosh. It's awesome. So, yeah, that, uh, other things. I got a couple things. Um, I, I have the greatest hits of Queen. I sadly don't have uh, On a Night at the Opera, which you do, and we don't have in front of us. But So I just picked up on the way here. I was like, I'm going to pick up my greatest hits album. So I have a greatest hits album that came out in 92. Okay? Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody is not on their greatest hits album in 92. Really? How about that? I mean, there's hits on, and it's not a one of two. It's a greatest hits album not featuring Bohemian Rhapsody. And that was a complete shocker for me. I've read through it six times. Like, there's 17 tracks. How is Bohemian Rhapsody not one? So this must have been pre-Wayne's World. Pre-Wayne's World, because Wayne's World came out in 92. Yeah. So I also have the greatest hits from 2002, so Uh 10 years later. And Bohemian Rhapsody is track one yeah. on the greatest hits. So it's basically a lot of the stuff from their original greatest hits, and they've put Bohemian Rhapsody on there. Because they've since added greatest hits volume two and oh, volume three. Volume two. And I have one, two, and three here. Yeah. So one is definitely the best because it's got Bohemian Rhapsody, another one bites the dust, Killer Queen, and We Will Rock You, and We Are the Champions, and Crazy Little Thing Called Love, all on number one. Yeah. I mean, number two is not shabby. It's got Under right. Pressure and other things. But, I mean, how in the world... At any time in Queen's career, do you make any kind of greatest hits album and Bohemian Rhapsody not be on it? It's because we live in a time of revisionist, not revisionist history, but we live in a time of like hindsight being 2020. Sure. Um, and so what actually happened, uh, this is according to, you know, at least what I found in my research was that when we were kids, okay, so we were like 11 when Wayne's World came out. We were right? both born in 81, so his math is correct. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so, but uh, apparently by that time, Bohemian Rhapsody was fading out of airplay, uh, that a lot of rock stations had stopped playing it and it was there. We can play other queen songs that aren't six minutes. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And get more and use so, for our queen. Exactly. Play. So, um, but, but Wayne's world hit and totally relaunched the song and, and catapulted it into what it is today as this legendary, whatever, like it was a hit, but uh, at least in the States, but apparently, I mean, if it wasn't on their greatest yeah. hits, you know, so it wasn't up in that upper echelon of whatever, but, so, but something about the, the connection of Wayne's world, which was a huge movie, uh, and is one of my favorite movies no, of all yeah, time. We're both big Wayne's world, I can guys. just quote it beginning to end. Um, but, uh, that, that put it in the stratosphere as an all time, whatever. Now, 40 years from now, we may have a different story. There mm-hmm. may be, you know, it may have faded away. And, and what, oh, what was that old Queen song? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but as we stand now, 
for like millennials and millennials parents even uh it's like a and millennials kids even it's mm-hmm. it's a you know like my kids know bohemian rhapsody <laughs> yeah. my kids love bohemian rhapsody because it's awesome you're a good because you're a good father i'm a good dad um but um yeah it was but apparently it was it was almost on its way out and then got a really big shot in the arm really big bump do you see what do you see what kept it out for being number one for the year of 92 do you see what song was number one in 92 i did you want to tell the people jump by crisscross oh my word how about that mac daddy that's right or daddy mac those guys um covers you want to talk a little bit yeah let's talk a little bit about covers sure do a quick cover section uh the muppets have one i feel like we've talked a lot about the muppets lately yeah uh weird owls bohemian polka bohemian polka which is literally it's normally you think parody you think it's a song where they change the lyrics in this case it's it's literally just the same song polka version done in polka form let's listen to it yeah play a little sample i feel like it's been a little while since we've talked about weird owl yeah and let's play some samples we we need to hear we used to talk about weird owl literally like every episode uh, but it's been a minute. You're so, not wh- forgotten. No. Why don't we go ahead and listen to a little bit of Bohemian Polka by the dude, Weird Al at Yankovic. Is this the real life? Different key. <laughs> Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see. It's great because oh, um, it's great because like Bohemian Rhapsody belongs under glass. You know what I'm saying? Like it's precious. Uh, it is whatever, and it's like he just farted on it. <laughs> he just this is mustard on his shirt. <laughs> it's like ah. yeah, it's amazing. I just love it. Um, we talked a little bit about Dream Theater Change of Seasons version. Very cool, and their version on the the Dream Theater has uh, an album called The Change of Seasons, which is a concept record in itself based on the movie Dead Poet Society. And so it's the, um, it's just one long song called The Change of Seasons. So I guess it's not really, it's really a suite. Sure. That's what it is. We've talked about this with Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and it, it goes through the story, but it's like 25 minutes long. Um, so it is a very long story. And then they have a few other tracks at the end uh, that would be sort of the B-side to the record. But the last thing that they do is a live cut where they go through a medley of songs uh, that go straight from one into another. It's like, Turn It On Again by Genesis and something by uh, Dixie Dregs, uh, Touch and Love and Squeezing by Journey and uh, oh, um, Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas, Kansas and then the rock section from Bohemian Rhapsody. It's really something to behold. It's very, very cool. And if they got, just, if you got some time, go take a game. Yeah, it's probably a what nine minute, it's something long, like that. It's, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's it's a it's amazing in the way they get from. From song to song is very cool. Shouts out to Dream Theater. You're awesome. The worst cover, which I want to <laughs> listen to it just because you need to, you can hear 14 seconds and know how bad it is. All right. Look up William Shatner's version oh, no. of this um, just to, to say, I didn't think anything could ruin this song because it's so magnificent. But uh, sorry, Bill. Check this out. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy caught in a landslide? <laughs> Escape from reality. Open your eyes. (laughs) Look up to the skies. 
and see. <laughs> so I can't tell if he's being serious. He's got to be making no, a joke. No, he's tongue in cheek. He's here. gotta be gotta be doing that. Tongue firmly uh, in cheek. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think, and you may not agree with me or think this is right on. You may be like, no, how dare you try to cover a Queen song? But I've listened to a bunch of covers just in this section, and I like Panic at the Disco's version. Have you heard it? I. I think I listened to a little it's bit of it. It's not bad. Yeah. I think if if somebody's going to try to do Queen, I think they make a pretty good effort mm. at it. It makes sense for me. So we don't have to listen or anything. But if you guys take a chance, uh, listen to their cover. It's not bad. How do you feel about, because Queen at this point is basically a Queen cover band, uh, right? Freddie, Freddie passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and their well, bassist. Brian May's still in. Brian May is still in, and John Taylor's still in, but the bassist retired. Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor retired. No, uh, Roger what did I say? Ta- John Deacon. Oh, John, John I'm Deacon's sorry. Yes. The bass player. Yes. Roger he, Taylor's the drummer. Yes. Uh, John Deacon retired. Um, so it's two of the guys. Two of four. And then it's like Adam Lambert. They've used mm-hmm. other people since it's then. Called, um, it's Adam Lambert and Queen. Right. It's so it's So, I mean. What do you, how, what, what are your feelings on it? I do mean, you have feelings? I, I, I mean, nobody's going to be Freddie Mercury, but I like that they're still doing their thing. And I wouldn't want to, I mean, I would, but I don't know how many people would go hear Brian May do anything else. Like, I wouldn't go hear, right. I probably, I might, I say yes and then no, I go back and forth, but yeah. I don't know if I'd go hear the Brian May band. Project, yeah. Yeah, the Brian May Project featuring Adam Lambert. You know, yeah. if they did their own songs, mm-hmm. I don't know, it'd be a toss-up. Yeah. Um, it's I think true. they're it's, playing it right. I, yeah, I agree. I think it's, like, it's music that deserves to still be heard live. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the last things I think that we should we should talk about is... Uh, Queen's legendary performance at Live Aid. Yes, this, this will is be, this will be good. One yeah. of the big pivotal moments for them, kind of a pivotal moment in rock and roll too. Mm-hmm. Um, so Live Aid uh, was an event held at Wembley Stadium in July of 1985 in front of a TV viewing audience of 1.9 billion people. It's crazy. 1.9. Billion with a B people. That's so about it, how many listeners we have each week. It's I mean, true. It's pretty it's close. True. But Live Aid kind of paved the way. That's right. You Thanks know what for I mean? setting us up for success. At like. this at at this point, there were there were like six billion people on the planet, right? So, <laughs> so one sixth. One. That's crazy. Uh, like one. No. Uh, like two. That's almost two almost billion. Two people. billion. Almost yeah. two. Almost two one sixth. out of every two sixth. One third in the world watched Live Aid, and Queen stole the show. They had everybody was there. U two was there. It was you Clapton. Know, yeah, like everybody was at Live Aid. Um, but it, everybody says Queen absolutely stole the show. Um, no pun maybe intended, but it was kind of their coming out. Sure, you know what I'm saying. You can like use that there. <clears throat> I mean, obviously they were already a big band, but it was a just like you know what I'm saying. For them, um, Bob Geldof, who organized Live Aid, said Queen were absolutely the best band of the day. They just went and smashed one hit after another. It was the perfect stage for Freddie. The whole world. That's good. Boom. That's that. Like that nails it. That really nails because really this is it's music that deserves to be heard by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's perfect for like yeah, it's it's cool in your car. It's cool on your Walkman. You know what I mean? But. Where it really if there belongs. was a satellite that played mute, like an intercom system around the world, yeah, this would be exactly good. Freddie Mercury's energy 
deserves to be seen by as many people as possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's just bigger than the room. And actually, period. it shouldn't be just intercommed. It should be like video in the sky. Yeah. Like, that's how you <laughs> right. should see it. Yes. You should look up to the skies right. and, see and see Freddie Mercury exactly. in the clouds. Like, uh, Masters of the Universe, the old He-Man yeah. movie from the 80s, where Skeletor, like, goes, <laughs> like, hologram and the whole planet's watching. They should do that with Queen. <laughs> they should just do a big Freddie Mercury hologram so by the powers of grayskull that's right that's at the capitol building of every city freddie ah. mercury's hologram rises from the dome <laughs> yeah uh okay i got one more note yeah and, and then and then we'll let the listeners go and we'll say goodbye to season two uh but i thought this was interesting bohemian rhapsody i hope you haven't seen this yet bohemian rhapsody was knocked off the number one spot in the uk by what song i don't know i didn't see this, this is great was knocked off the number one spot in the uk in its original release by Mamma Mia. What? The ABBA song? Yes. And that's in. And that's Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, let, let me go. go. Oh, yeah. man. That's, Knocked off the top by Mamma Mia. How about that? That's a great little note to end that's on. That's a great, that's Listen, a great Listen, in the end, all the explanation and analysis in the world can't help you appreciate this song. No. It's like the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I could be like, man, there's so much color and art and it all fits together so beautifully but you really just kind of have to experience it like if if you'd never heard it and i explained it to you in great detail which we kind of just did you still couldn't walk away with a decent idea of what this song is like so if you've never heard it don't go with what we said no go listen to it. go listen to it straight take six not minutes yeah, yeah exactly take six minutes and go listen to it all together breathe it in man because you know like you could take a standard kind of rock song and describe it pretty well and you'd have a good idea to walk away from it. you know it's got oh, some guitars at the front then the vocals come this is in. in this key and then it goes key change bam yeah boom guitar solo and we're out this song is impossible to describe it is impossible to academically um, contain. You know what I'm saying? Um, it defies that kind of description. It's a thing unto itself. It is a sweet and it is sweet. Um, so, uh, man, what, what do we say? What do we send them out with? Oh, gosh. Pick a part. Uh, rock part. Man, yeah, we'll just probably go back out with the rock, rock section. Part. Rock out one more time. Thank you guys for another season. For season with two. It. We're growing. We're having fun with you guys. This is awesome. Can't so. wait to be back with you in a few yeah. weeks with season three. It'll be here before you know it. Don't cry for us. Argentina. Don't go nowhere. The truth is we never left you. That's right. All through our wild days, our mad existence. We're already racking our brains for songs for season three. If y'all have anything you'd like, we still take requests. Absolutely. And we still have those from the past. We're yep. just uh, narrowing down and getting to them. But yep. keep them coming. We love hearing what y'all want to hear. And Hit us up on Twitter at Great Song Pod. Keep up with us over the break. Send us those requests. Find us on Facebook. we got a fun little community on Facebook at Great Songs and the great people who love them greatly. Uh, and we'll be back sooner than you know it with a great song uh, to kick off season three. Should we tell them what it is? No. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give it away. Don't give it away now. Mm, it's not that. It's not that. It's not Red Hot Chili Peppers. It isn't. It's not. It's better than that. Uh, anyway, until then, thanks so much for listening. I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music. Sorry.